I wanted to show you this. Uh, obviously, you can't, can't hide it, so we might as well just kind of accentuate it. Um, first of all, thank you. I, I echo Pastor Matt. Um, just incredible things yesterday. I, I was just very, very pleased. I couldn't be more ecstatic about... Um, I'm sure I'm going to miss somebody because I know most of you are here. So if I miss your name, please don't think that I'm just missing you. But I want to—I do thank you for Rick and, and Judah for working on the lights in here, uh, preparing. We've got another few additions that we're going to make coming up over the next, hopefully the next week or two. Um, incredible job on the, on the risers and doing things all day. Justin uh, Treister helped out with lights in the kids' areas. Uh, in this hallway, if you haven't walked through this hallway, I think it's fantastic. I know it sounds weird. It's just I like the lighting in the hallway. It makes me happy. I don't feel like I'm going down a dark alley anymore. I feel like I'm am heading to the kid land. Uh, uh, Ella and Tara and, and folks were painting that striped wall in the back. If you haven't been in the kids area, you got to go check it out. They were like troopers, man. It took them all day just edging. Edging, more tape, more edging. And uh, they were faithful. Uh, thank you to Charlie and, and, and Brent and so many people who helped out with these pieces. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. I love these pieces, by the way. I think they're great. I'm going to explain a little bit more about why I like them. Uh, so many folks doing things. Bathrooms got painted yesterday. I know that doesn't sound like a lot to some of y'all. I just, it, it makes me happy. My little nerdly self, I'm like, oh, that's, that's exciting. I like it. JJ made a little stage for the kids' area, just off in the corner. You know, we've got all kinds of things going on. Uh, Most importantly, we've just got a lot of good God in this that's going on. And I also acknowledge that things are tough. That we have some folks who are battling things. We have some folks who are just trying to walk it out. And there's, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna talk today, and hopefully, you'll be encouraged. Um, If not by me, you'll definitely be encouraged by the word of the Lord. One of the things that I enjoy about these pieces is this. I think. this is when my nerdly self comes out a lot. Um, this was something that we had thought about doing, and I didn't realize until after it was already in the works that the Arising Church has something similar to this behind their staging. I think they have it on a whole wall, like a whole wall's worth of it. Uh, Submission Ministries has something very similar to this. And I was like, well, looky there. Almost like we're all connected uh, I honestly didn't know those things. I was like, hey, this is what I think we should have. This is what I want. This is the direction we're going to go. And then they're like, oh, yeah, Zeke and Zach have done that. Oh, good to know. <laughs> what I like about this is really uh, I like pieces that, I, that have some story behind it just a little bit. Um, just for those of you who weren't here, let me just explain what we did. This is just a simple frame. And these are actually from pallets. You know, when you ship stuff and there's just the pallet of wood that's left. These are just wood pieces that are ripped from various and sundry pallets that we found around town. Um, each colored and distressed and weathered in different ways and blended together. I know a lot of folks put their eye on it and then we, we fasten them down. What I love about it is that it actually reminds me of our church. This is what I see when I see it. When I look at it, I think about you guys and how that, we're, that we've, weathered, we've been weathered differently. We came from different purposes, all similar purposes in the fact that we were working for the Lord or had whatever we had before we got to the Lord, but we're similar in nature and and, and function, and yet we're completely different. Yet we are individualized, and when you look at maybe any one piece, you might see some flaws in the wood, and that's exactly what we wanted. 
We want you to see that there's knots and there's cracks and there's these things because that reminds me of us. It reminds me of my life. I can look at it from the story and, and think about times in my life when maybe I've been burned and notched out by things that have happened. Maybe the pressure was a little bit too much for me and it actually cracked. It showed where my weaknesses were. It, just different things about it if I look at it as an individual point, but then when I think about it collectively, I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. I think that's the way God designs it is that each piece, if you look at it in and of itself, may not be that much. What purpose can this piece What purpose can that piece? What can one little piece do? What can one little piece add? But the fact that it was chosen out of an entire pile that we had and rightly fit into the correct place gives you an overall picture of beauty. Um, it's kind of like a, a picture within a picture. You know, I've never had a TV that does this, but you can be watching two things at once. You know, my wife would probably like that because I'm, when we do ever sit down to watch TV, which is fairly infrequently, I'm, I'm the channel flipper, right? She's like, what are you watching? Nothing. <laughs> you know, all of our seven channels that we can catch with our rabbit ears or whatever it is, you know, just rotating through. It's like a story within a story. When you look at things and you see things there in front of you and you go, yeah, that's kind of cool. Nobody else may know about it. When you have a, a guitar or something and... I have, uh, I don't have my guitar out, but have a guitar and it's got a little notch on it that made me want to weep the first time that I, that I nicked my guitar. I had a church, it was actually at, uh, at King's Harvest Fellowship, I know we got some visitors from there. I had a guitar out and I left it on the stage. All the little pieces are what makes it beautiful. You can fight to have every uh, little board in your life to be the same color and to have it easy and to have it free from all stress. That is not at all what makes your life beautiful. It's not at all what makes it beautiful. It is, it, it, it's the marks. Uh, the guitar that I had at King's Harvest, I came back, I had led worship that day. Um, Gabe was Luke's size. And so, led, led worship and I came back after we had just gotten done fellowship and I came back and there were like scratches all the way across my guitar. I was like, <laughs> Jesus, help me. That's my baby. I, ah. You know what? Now I look at it and go, yeah, Lord, leading your people sometimes leaves some scratches and scars, doesn't it? Huh? But it didn't change at all the quality of the sound of the guitar. And actually, the guitar is better now. It's about 15-year-old guitar, and it's more, it's more beautiful now than it's ever been. was leading worship for a former student's um, they asked me to come and do a funeral service for some relative. I didn't know the relative. I just knew the family. And I was singing out at the graveside, and I turned to take my guitar off, and it was under one of those little tents, and I jammed it about as hard as I... It was completely unintentional, but as if I had speared the metal frame with my guitar. Oh! But I have a story. I have a story about a student who cared enough and had enough relationship that God was doing something in our relationship, that there was a pouring into that he asked me to do something for his family. I could look at it and be like, there's something that's just beautiful about our church. 
There's something beautiful about yesterday when I came up here and saw people um, much more gifted than I am at so many things and doing excellent work, being faithful, just doing the work, getting it done. Whatever time they had, whatever time they could devote, they did it, and they did it faithfully. Um, reminds me, too, when I, when I think about our, our mosaics back here of different pieces. Um, reminds me of, I've, most of you know, I was, a, I was a band director. I was a music teacher. There's some interesting things that happen when you get enough people together playing music. Um, had a high school band, and so I had, a, I had a, we probably had 50 or 60 kids in the band at the time that I was leading it. And with that many, you have to work very hard on your tuning. Tuning is just, if you're not a musician, tuning really is just uh, the mathematical side of it. It's just the frequency. How many vibrations do you have per minute? And so if you're going to play a certain note, everybody should be playing it at the same pitch or at the same frequency. When you're not, you can hear it. If it's close, if you're one notch off, you hear whoa, 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 whoa. If you're further off, whoa, 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 whoa. You start hearing things that are farther out, and you can actually hear, at least I could after I got to teaching for a while, and I was like, I could tell almost exactly how far off they were. And I, we had a little machine that was this standard that I would make them, okay, look at that. You're going to be about this much sharp or this much flat. How do you do that? Because I just heard you, and I heard, I heard the difference. But there's something interesting that gets it. If you get enough people, this is going to sound really weird. If you get enough people, you don't actually have to worry about tuning as much. Um, my senior year in college, golly, 20 years ago almost, a long, long time ago, I was the drum major at LSU, so I got to get out there on the field and lead the golden band from Tigerland. It's great. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. You're right. Really was a long time ago. It was such a joy. Uh, I learned so many things. God used that to teach me so many things about his kingdom. Just I'm just living life and enjoying it and get to do this. But that year that I that I was drum major, for instance, there were 60 trumpet players. Trumpet, which is a fairly loud instrument, 60 of them. And so it was kind of fun. It was, it was incredibly fun because after a point, these were all collegiate musicians and we're running around on the field and making formations. And if you're off, you know, if you're supposed to be here and you're standing there, somebody's going to call you on it. A director from a high podium would be like, uh, Sutherland, you need to move four inches to your right. Seriously. We're out on a football field. Four, yes, move. My bad. <laughs> And so you're doing all these things and you're trying to play beautiful music. With 60 trumpet players, you know what? There's an interesting thing that happened. Is when they started to play, as long as they were close, it sounded like one gigantic, perfectly in tune note. Some of my favorite parts of being the drum major was I would get to stand in front of the band uh, before, before practice or before a game and we would warm up. And so they're all just in these concert formation, these arcs around me. And I'm conducting them to get them to warm up and do things. And you could literally feel the sound. 300 and something college musicians playing their brains out, blowing as hard as they can. And you, it, there was a, a texture. There was a feel to the sound. Anytime I'd go back and visit, I visited for years after that and would go do alumni games, I would always find the band right as they were warming up.
and I'd go stand over next to the drum major's podium. He'd be standing up on the podium, and I would just kind of like lean up against the podium because I loved that feel. All those different parts, and really, if you took each one of them and put them up against something, you'd go, hey, that's not very, you're not perfect. You're not perfect. You're not perfect. None of them would be perfect, and yet you get this unity of sound that is something that, uh, you know, and, and in Louisiana, I could play those four notes. I'd get all kind of random people in various states of sobriety. Hey, play the Bunnit Bunnit song. What? That's what they were asking us to play for, to play. And I would have people, especially when I was in the uniform, you know, 20 years ago and 40 pounds ago, then like they were there and they would just ask you and they'd be like, can you play it? Would you play it? Because there was something that was very, um, that created emotion. When I, when, I, when I see this, I think about those things. I think about when you get together with people, how good it is, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Amen. It's like oil that flows down. And Psalms 133 is what I'm quoting there. It's like, it's like oil that just flows down. There's this beauty, there's this covering, there's this um, anointing that just comes down upon you when there's unity. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you perceive as your... how pristine you view your life, there's beauty actually in that brokenness. There's beauty in the individuality that God has for you. Uh, it reminds me of a few things. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22. First Samuel chapter 22. I hope that when you look at these that you think about us as a church. So many people it took to put it together and so many different things and so many different individual pieces and yet when you put it all together, it's pretty stinking beautiful. What a, what a beautiful thing. First uh, Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Verse 2. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. David lived a 3D life, right? He is the king of the misfits. He is the bad news bears coach. Isn't that what this verse says? All those who were in distress, in debt, or discontented. And I don't know why I never noticed that those were 3Ds, good little... Good little preacher set up there for you. You're like, oh, look at that, three Ds. In distress, in debt, or discontented, gathered around him and he became their leader. Huh. And this was no small group. About 400 men were with him. That's a pretty big rabble to have. As far as a leader, those aren't really the kind that you want to get, are they? Those aren't the ones that you want to go out and recruit. All right, so all you are in his distress, come step this way. Those of you who are in debt, please come. Especially those of you who are discontented. Because we know how pleasant you people are. My team. I choose you. <laughs> or in this case, they're like, we like David. Let's go with him. Huh. I I'm sorry that I find so much of myself in these, I guess. 
Maybe you guys aren't these things. I just see myself. I don't think of David and all these people as like, oh, it's all of them. I always see myself. Oh, yeah. Distressed, debt, discontented. Yeah. I see that. In whatever area. About 400 men were with him. Let's keep reading. From there, David went to Mizpah and Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? Isn't that great that David took care of his parents? Hey, there's... There's a family issue here going on. I love it. So he left them with king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. When you start collecting people around you, when, there are, when we gather together in groups, um, you read over the next several passages, and David stays on the go. He moves from place to place. And if you're not careful, you just think about it just as David singularly. Like, okay, well, I'm going to take my suitcase and go over here. And there were 400 men who were in debt, discouraged, and discontented with life. Turn to chapter 23, just a page over or so, verse 13. So David and his men, about 600 in number. This is approximately one chapter later. A chapter in a little bit. Which we know in the Bible that could be a considerable amount of time, right? Just because we can read it in two minutes doesn't mean it took David two minutes to live it. Just because we can recount your story and some of your war wounds and some of the issues that happened in your life, just because we can recount it in a few seconds doesn't mean it took you a few seconds to get over it or to get through it or to get around it, or to conquer it, right? But basically, in one chapter later, verse 13, so David and his men, about 600. Hmm, interesting. And number left. Uh, they left Keilah and kept moving from place to pay, place. There's an importance in our life for seasons. There are sometimes when you just need to keep moving. If we get bogged down, if we get kind of stuck in the same place, if we get stuck in a rut, then you're going to get in trouble. I'm not saying that you should leave. I'm saying that you should follow exactly what God is saying. But a lot of times, the people who I've noticed who do best in life, just keep going. <laughs> to borrow from a children's uh, movie, they just keep swimming. They just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. There's something actually godly in that principle. You just keep going. Um, I think of, uh, I hadn't planned on doing this, but uh, I think it's in Genesis 11. Would you turn there really quickly? Hold your place in Samuel and then turn to Genesis 11. Genesis 11:27. This is the account of Terah. We've talked through Genesis, our Monday night meetings. You guys know we've, this has been several months ago now that we were in this passage, but what a great teaching came from it. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married 
name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Verse uh, 30, now Sarah was barren, she had no children. 31, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of um, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Interesting that the name of the son who had died is also the name of the city where Terah got stuck. Sometimes when a death of a dream or a death of a person or something tragic happens in our life, we can get stuck in that place. Abram had to move on from there, but we don't want to get stuck in these places just because there's difficulties that happen. We've got to keep moving forward in what God has. Turn back to Samuel. Let's uh, actually go ahead and on to 2 Samuel chapter 23. We've covered this before in this church. Uh, I'm setting up something. Uh, we're going to honor uh, Brad Hall here in just a few minutes. We're going to honor Brad. Uh, Brad, is this is his last Sunday with us for a while, at least on a regular basis. He'll visit but he is about to go and be a prison chaplain. He is in, currently in training, and I won't, we'll, we'll get into more of those details maybe later, but uh, I want to make sure that we honor Brad, and we're going to pray over him. We're going to have our elders come forth here in a few minutes, and we're going to lay hands on him, and we're going to send him out. Um, my thoughts today, Brad, are uh, wrap around you and your family. Um, even as I'm saying this, I, I thought it was a perfect, for me, I couldn't think of a better way to do this, where we have this, and I know that Brad, as well as all of us, have different parts of our story, uh, different things that we don't understand why they were weathered the way that they were. And yet, when you look back, you go, oh, what a beautiful tapestry that God has woven together of His will in our lives. These same discontented, indebted, and discouraged people in 2 Samuel 23, <laughs> these are some of the same men who create this list. Second uh, Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. These are the names of David's mighty men. I, I don't know that I can prove it out, but I like the idea that those who were 3D became mighty. Those who actually lived in reality were able to become mighty in the land. These are the names of David's mighty men. Josheb, Bashabeth, Atakamite, and was the chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. I can never get tired of reading these passages, by the way. I just, I look at it. I want to encourage you with this. As many times as I've read this before. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Uh, one encounter. 800. That's a lot of people. Life and death. These other people aren't just like, please come kill me, sir. I mean, they're, they're in battle with him. These are grown men. Obviously, the Lord was with him. But can I just encourage you? I would imagine. Wasn't there. It doesn't really give you a whole lot of details about this battle versus 800 people that he won, that he defeated in a single encounter. Can I encourage you that uh, he probably just took care of them one at a time? Never thought about it like that. I'm like, well, how would you take care of eight? These, these are not machine guns. These are swords and spears. This is hand-to-hand. How would he have taken care of them? Probably one-on-one or pretty close to it. How many of the 800 can get to you? You know, sometimes when the, when, the, when the problem is really in front of you, sometimes the amount of problem actually can kind of insulate you a little bit. 
guys number 600 and 700, they can't even touch me yet. I'll get to them in a minute or in an hour or in a day or in a week. Those guys can't even touch me yet. I, I see them, but all I have to do is take care of them one at a time. That's all I have to do. Now, the ability to do that times 800 was absolutely supernatural. But when I read it yesterday and today, I was like, I've never thought about it that way. He just, how did he take care of it? How do we take care? It's the same way that we take care of our problems now. If you read the Bible and go, oh, I can never do that, or that's not me, or that does, that's just a neat story, then you're not allowing the Word of God to impact you the way it should. He raised a spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Let me encourage you. If you have to face 800, <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day, I can't remember exactly who it was, but you know, we're talking about this. Everybody wants to see a miracle in their life, but you just don't want to have to be in the place where a miracle is required, right? When the miracle is required, that means you're either at life or death. Uh, you're in something that is so dire that, and nothing else can help you. You've exhausted all possible outcomes and you're there and that's when a miracle can come. Wow. <laughs> he was in a situation where he needed a miracle and God allowed him to do it and walk through it one at a time, I would imagine. Next to him was Ele, uh, Eleazar, son of Dodiah, the Ehoite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistine gathered at Pasdemna for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. So everybody else is leaving, but he stood his ground. Praise God for people who can stand their ground. Praise God for people who can just keep advancing and not retreating. And struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Love it. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but but only to strip the dead. In other words, he did the real work and they came for the benefit, right? I don't know anybody like that. And I've never had anybody like that in my life. And they leave you when it's tough and after you are victorious and see the miracle, then, oh, we're with you. <laughs> I felt awful alone for you to be with me. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi the Herite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled for them, but Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field took a stand. I love it. Again, what, what makes these stories so, something of valor? It's because everyone else was leaving and they didn't. Because everyone else was running and they wouldn't. Because everyone else looked at the odds and said, I can't, and they did. That's why they get included in, in the story here. And on and on and on. It says that these guys were the commander of the 30 and then there's about 37 names listed. Right? I love it. There's even more. Well, we couldn't just stop at 30. I want to go ahead and push my way in. Even if there's 30 that are designed, I'm going to go ahead and try to slip in. I'm going to, I, want to, I want to work and find my place because I, we want to be like these people. Uh, it also reminds me of this. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Are you guys with me? Start in verse 1. <clears throat> I love that the ordinary people can become extraordinary because of the power of God. Then Moses went out and spoke, to, spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old. Everybody say 120. He's thinking about retiring now that he's 120, right? 
and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said, and the Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. Some great stories there that you can take a look at. Verse 5, the Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That's a good place for an amen. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then, oh, thank you, Lord. Verse 7, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord Himself goes before you and will be with you. I love that. He will go before you, but He's not leaving you to do it. He will go before you and prepare a way and be with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I like the repetition. I need the repetition. Because when it gets tough, I sometimes act like, like I forget this verse where he, where he will, says he won't leave or forsake. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So um, I had the privilege of, um, was it Friday night? I know you guys had an incredible time at the one family home meeting. So uh, Pastor Matt and I and our families were here trying to get stuff ready for you guys to come in the next morning. Um, and so I went to pick up the kids and I was texting my daughter, Olivia, and I said, hey, so we're finishing up at the church. It was like 9 o'clock or something here. And we're about to head on over there. And Olivia says, um, we're not done yet. I'm like, awesome. Well, I'll just take my time. Then. She's like, I mean, you could be, like, you can really take your time, Dad. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, cool. So get in the car, stop off at Home Depot, which I've, I've worn out the path between horn, home, here and Home Depot the last couple of days. And so stopped off at Starbucks, got a little refreshment. And, 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 and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm 15, you know, I'm about 15 minutes out. She's like, we're still not done yet, Dad. Like, I like you people. I, I, I like how this is going. And so she said, no, really, take your time. <laughs> so I get there about 10 o'clock, and I think we're just done. And she, as I'm pulling up, she's saying, hey, we're done, um, but you don't have to worry about coming and picking me up for a long time. <laughs> I love this. I love this kid. She's awesome. So I, we get in the car on the way home, and we have uh, some guests with us. And uh, we have Timothy. We have Vincent kids with us, at least a couple of them. And I lost count of them back there, whatever it was. <laughs> so we're going home. And you know what, you know what these jokers are talking about? Your, your kids, uh, these kids of our church, uh, 12-year-old, 13, 14, 15-year-olds. They're going, hey, so in the Bible, it talks about being strong and courageous. Huh. And, and there's certain Hebrew words, and you guys were, were a church as well, versed in a lot of these things. So um, can you guys remember what that's called? Rock 
Rock Kazakh. Rock Kazakh. They're talking about it in the car, and I'm going, this is hilarious. This is, this is awesome. I mean, hilarious, like, full of joy. You know, like, oh, this, I love this. The kids are, they're, they're trying to figure out, and what does it mean, and, and what does the Bible say about it? And they're kind of digging in after already whatever had gone on. This is extra. This is the extra stuff on the way home. I'm like, I, I, I love my church. This idea of rock kazakh, and actually the two words here in this passage are kazakh and amats. Kazakh, which is when it says um, in verse 6, be strong, kazakh, and courageous. Amats. Kazakh amats. Be strong and be courageous. Then Moses, verse 7, summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel, Kazakh amats. That's what Moses said in front of everybody. Be strong and be courageous. Look at verse 18 in the same... Oh, I'm sorry. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. You see it again. Joshua 1.1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Man, that's a great promise to Joshua. Incredible. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Wow. I want some of that. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Don't you love that we have a God who always wants to be with us? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you. I was with him. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6. Kazakh Amats. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Kazakh Amats. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Kazakh Amats. I think we've got a theme going here, right? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Just catch how many times when you're reading through Scripture, God's saying, I'm going to be with you. When you look at kazakh in the, in the Hebrew, uh, here's some words that come from that. To strengthen. Be strong and courageous. Sometimes it means to restore your strength. You had strength and it's just waned. To restore strength. To obtain to confirm or to make firm, to retain, to prevail, to take hold of. Same word, um, trying to translate it in different ways so we get a full understanding of what that really, yes, it's be strong, but the tenacity that's included in that is much bigger than just, it's not just a physical strength. It's an entire attitude that goes along with it. Kazakamats. There's something else that goes along there. Uh, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. There. 
Actually, let's back up to verse 1 so we can put it in context. David and his men... Sorry, I hear some pages turning. I'll let you get there. That never bothers me. Pages turning are, are, are a pleasant sound to this former musician here. I like it. Because when you're out there and you're out and about, you're not going to have a screen for somebody. You're going to need to learn how to use your own sword. So that's, that's good. I like that. Uh, chapter 30, verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and, the Zik- and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. Verse 3. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. (laughs) Working for the Lord... This guy who will be king, King David, they're with him. They're with the right guy and everything taken from him. The only things that matter in life taken from them. They wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail. If you've been in this church very long, you understand about Nabal and Abigail, one of our core Stories that we speak about a lot, especially in our, in our marriage counseling, our marriage teaching, rather. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. So, lost your wife and kids, and they're about to kill you. Each one was bitter in spirit. Everybody say bitter in spirit. Hmm. Because of, the, of his sons and daughters. But David found Kazakh in the Lord his God. But David found strength in the Lord his God. In the midst of very dark times, there was something, there was an attitude that David had that said, no, I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord. What did he strengthen himself to do? Verse 7, Then David said to Abathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abathar had brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord. You know what? David had the strength he got the Kazakh to do to go straight into God's presence. David inquired of the Lord, Should I pursue this raiding party while I overtake them? Now, what else do you think that he, I mean, I, I, I don't know what David would have done had God said no. Right? Um, hey, God, these are my wife and kids, and, and this is what's going on, and these people are about to stone me. So if you're not careful, I would have done, what I would have probably done in that situation was going right after him. Strap on the swords, boys. Let's go. It's not what he did. He strengthened himself enough to go straight into the presence of God. And he inquired, and look what the Lord said. Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Keep reading just a little bit. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Ravine where some stayed behind for 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine. The, the, the reality and the truthfulness of the Bible is so beautiful. Had 600 of them, you know what? 200 of them were like, look, um, I ain't got it. I'm not strong enough on my own. 
my bitterness and soul. I have wept literally and I have no strength left. I can't, I can't go fight with you. David leaves 200. He leaves a third of his men. For 200 men were, um, were too exhausted to cross the ravine, but David and 400 men continued the pursuit. Love that. Hey, come on. I'll take the ones who can do it. Let's go. You go throughout the story. They get everyone back. They didn't lose one single person. They routed the enemy in victory. They come back. And there was a little bit of discussion whether the 200 should get some of the spoils of the labor. And David said, no, 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 no. They're with us. Just because they were too weak, I'm not going to keep them from the blessing that God has. We're one family. If they're too weak, it's okay. We'll stand in the gap for you. <laughs> if the wall that Nehemiah is building is if it's too low right here, I'll position a family right here and we'll, we'll cover this for you. And you're still a part of us. Amen? Second, uh, no, 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Incredible passage. We're going to start... Um, Verse 22, very famous scripture. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination. I grew up memorizing that scripture as, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Right? That's how I learned it as a kid. It still rings in my head that way. When I start the verse, I always think about it in that, in that version. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Please don't think that there aren't consequences when we start rejecting what God's saying in our lives. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Well, the whole problem was is that it took him to right there in that verse to say that he had sinned. God had assigned him something. He did, not what, he did not do what God had said, and he said, oh, I've done, ex- I've done exactly what God has said. Hmm. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord. Not in what you have said. You've tried to say the right things, but your actions show that you've completely rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Verse 27, as Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught a hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and given it to one of your neighbors better than you. The the word for hold there, when he grabbed a hold of Samuel... He kazaked Samuel. There's a desperation in the strength there. It's literally all that you have latching hold to something and just you don't want to let go. In this case, it shows you the desperation that he had in his soul. 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Verse 14. 
This is the story of the Shunammite woman. Verse 14, what can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. (laughs) No, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. Like, look, I can't take, don't play games with me. Don't just say something if it's not going to happen. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out with his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told his servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. There are some times when there is a promise from God and it appears to die. It is birthed and there is a season where it looks like this thing is done. How can this be? God promised. Why would he do this this way? She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. (laughs) Not sure that she even told her husband what was going on. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. I put this thing in high gear, let's go. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to the servant, Gehazi, look, there's a Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Like, that's, this is not the normal path where, of him meeting with this person. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. She kazaked his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away. That's not appropriate. What are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. That's a really interesting thing for me. Just reading through an Elisha, this man of God who, this prophet. I don't know if God didn't just do that to kind of pique his interest. Like, huh, I can clearly see that she's upset. She has kazaked my feet. I don't actually know why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, take your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet them. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. I love this. This is the kazakh that carries on. Verse 30. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Don't you think that he had enough power that when he sent his servant with the staff that it would do exactly what it was supposed to do? Mom didn't care. She was was like, "Um, you can go ahead and send him if you want, but I'm not letting go. Like, I'm going to find out where the presence of God is and I'm going to stay here. And the implication is, is like, you might as well go with me because I'm not turning away from this because I've got this moment of kazakh and I'm not going anywhere except for where God calls me to go. I'm not going to do anything except for what God calls me to do. I don't care if something's dead. I've got to have the presence of God. I'm going to hold on to it with such a tenacity, with such a veracity that it's going to produce some change. 
He went up. Obviously, there's, it's, a, it's a beautiful story that continues on. This is what we're supposed to have as believers. When our kids are talking about be strong and be courageous in the back of a vehicle, this is what we're looking at. Turn to Isaiah chapter 35. Just a few more scriptures. And then we are going to do some blessing. Isaiah 35. Verse 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those who with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Strengthen the feeble hands. Kazakh, steady the knees that give way. Amats, take courage in what God is doing. Rise up to what God has said. Let's turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles chapter 28. We got a little small gift um, for Brad. It says, Man of God, be strong and courageous. For the Lord God is with you. It comes from this passage right here in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Let's start in verse 1. David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem. The officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the brave warriors. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and have shed blood. By the way, God was not unhappy with him being a warrior. He was actually quite pleased with, with that spirit that David had. That constant kazakh and amats that he had. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader. And from the house of Judah, he chose my family. And from my father's son, he was pleased to make me king over all of Israel. There is a selection process that God has. And he will narrow it right on down to exactly where you sit. Whatever it took to get there, whatever the story behind the mosaic that's in your life, those were all just selection tools that God had. It's the winnowing fork. It's just Him doing things and He's watching your heart and He's seeing and He's watching these things get more and more narrow 
Well, I don't know what God has called me to do, but I know I should live right. As you do that, it becomes more clear. It becomes more and more, more and more clear to your walking in a singleness of purpose. <laughs> you can put it in a mezuzah. You can talk about what your family is on the planet to do. You know why? Because He selects and He walks you to that point for clarity's sake. Verse 5, Of all my sons, the Lord has given me many. He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son is the one who will build my house uh, and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if, everybody say if, he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws. This isn't, these are if-then statements that the Bible creates. I will do this for you if you hold to my teachings. <laughs> I will literally move heaven and earth on your behalf if you walk in my ways. Verse 8, So I charge you in the sight of all Israel in the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all, everybody say all, all. the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the Lord, uh, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion. And with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts if you seek Him. Uh, if you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. Wow. Almost like He's serious about this. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. I think that is almost a, that is a motto of what we actually do here at LCMF. Be strong. And do the work. There are things that I've been thinking about lately. Um, and do the work has just been a phrase that I'm like, how would I describe our church to people? How would I describe it? Uh, well, I would have to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's core to who we are. I'd have to talk about a masculine holiness. I'd have to talk about, I don't know, flow of shalom. I'd have to talk about Abigail and Nabal. I'd have to talk about, and then as I'm kind of just jotting some things down, I'm like, do the work. <laughs> do the work, man. Yes, love the Lord. Absolutely. That's not a passive thing. We're going to put our hand in this, and we're going to do this. We're going to do the work. Brad is coming into a season where he's going to have to Kazak, and do the work. There's a work that's set out for him to do, and he's going to have to go get it. He's going to have to go do it with some Kazak and some Amats in what he's doing. Verse 11, Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico. The next several verses, I don't want to take time right now, but it lays out all of these details. When God gives you the details, they're very, very important. Verse 19, All this, David said, I have in writing from the hand of the Lord upon me, and he gave me understanding in all the details of this plan. Verse 20, David also said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous, kazakamats, and do the work. If you have strength and courage and you're not doing the work, then you're missing the whole point then you don't really have Kazakh and Amats. 
you have something else. Because that will produce in you an ability to do the work that God has set before you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for, service, for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. The divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God and every willing man skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. Brad, if you will come forward, you and Jan will come forward. I want to encourage I think we also have a card somewhere. I don't have it in my hand, but I will get it to you as soon as y'all come stand in the middle. So tell us really quickly, you're about to go to Beeville, Beeville, Texas. Huge metropolis of Beeville, Texas. 14,000 in the town. That's what I'm talking about. Um, and you've been training for how long now to be the chaplain there? Well, I've been a part of a training academy for several weeks. They're teaching us the security side, and I'm getting ready to enter into the chaplain side. Okay. So he's doing it because he works in a prison. Obviously, they have to go through like he was a prison guard. I have to take him through that whole training, and then plus the extra stuff. I can see prison guard, Brad. That's, that's kind of a... <laughs> I like that thought in my mind. It makes me happy. Hey, going through the gas was fun. Yeah, go <laughs> <laughs> Going through all the tear gas. That's, that's good stuff. Um, and you are going, and so you're going to, starting at the end of this week, right, you're going to be there on a more permanent basis. Jan will be joining you later. Um, and you're going, how many, tell us about, just real quick, a, real, a quick summary of what you're going there to do as, as chaplain. How many prisons, I mean, what is this going to look like for you? Well, I'm going to be chaplain at the Garza East Unit. It's a transfer facility where inmates that have gotten arrested, but they don't have a state piece, um, TDCJ number yet, um, are, um, they come into the system. So there's, a lot of them are new. And um, I will basically be doing quite a bit of administration, um, everything from um, making sure that offenders have access to their religious rights to uh, connecting with churches and volunteers in the community. I'm really excited about that, guys. And um, just networking with people and getting them to come into the prison and arranging services and um, providing opportunities for offenders to, you know, have their lives changed. Is, is that all? <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing. Uh, I'm going to encourage you again to read 1 Chronicles 28 and 20. And those last few verses that we read said there's going to be all kind of skillful men who are ready to help with any task. And we're gonna, I'm just going to speak that over you prophetically right now, that as you get in this, as you're walking in your calling, as you have the kazakh and amats that God is going to give you, that there will be people that will encircle you uh, as you lead. Amen. And they will help you to do this great work that you have. Yeah. This is an incredible thing. So I, I, I charge Brad, I charge you, just like Moses did to Joshua, to be strong and be courageous. Amen. Don't be afraid because the Lord your God is with you. He will never leave you and He will never forsake you in this work. There's a powerful thing that is going on. Uh, I love the fact, and, I, and I'm going to have... I'm going to ask Nick to come on up as representative of our prison ministry. Um, family, you guys are welcome to come on up because we're going to pray here. You guys can get closer if you'd like. 
We want to we do this together. I'm going to ask the elders and the pastors and, and those of us to gather around. Um, we are not the kind of church that does things merely for ceremony. I thought it was nice to, to get a gift, but the truth is, is uh, I hope this is a reminder, like our mosaic is a reminder. I hope this is a reminder of what God is calling Brad to do and his family to do. To be strong and courageous. I love that you're doing this. I love that you're doing this. This is an incredible thing. Um, we're going to pray now. Um, and I mean that we're going to pray. We're going to pray for an impartation. If you get a word for Brad or for his family, this is the time to do that. Um, again, we're not just doing this because it's a nice thing to do. We're doing this because we love you. We're doing this because it's our honor. This is what we do as a church. This is what LCMF is known for. We love y'all. We are empowering you guys to go forth and literally be God's representative, that you will have everything you need. Amen. Let's circle around. Come on, guys, let's pray. Father God. Father and God, Lord, we love you. God, we pray over Brad right now, Lord. Lord, that just as an arrow is shot uh, from a bow, Lord, that he will not miss his mark. Lord, that he will hit the dead center of the bullseye in this season of his life, Lord. That he will be more than just a chaplain in name only, Lord, but he will carry upon him the mantle of one who has been with Jesus Christ. Lord, that he will be able to speak life to those who are in death. Lord, he will be able to call forth and snatch those who are literally in the pathway to hell. He will snatch them from the fire, mighty God. Lord, that through his words, Lord, that through his heart, through the strength of his hand, through the kazakh and amats that you will place within him, God, he will accomplish everything for you are, will be with him. You are with him. You will not leave him and forsake him, God. God, we pray for a mighty move in these prisons. God, a mighty move. For those who are just coming into this system, Lord, with hard hearts, with broken hearts, Lord, maybe even in debt, discontented, discouraged, Lord, maybe even demonized, Lord, we just pray against, Lord, the forces of the enemy, God, and we release Brad to go and do the work of the Lord there in Beeville. God, we release him to be a mighty man for you in the midst of these people, full of the word of God, full of prophecy. Lord, whatever is needed there, Lord, that you will make him exactly what is needed to reach these people, mighty God.